Glossonomia, conversations about the sounds of speech. I am Eric Armstrong, and I'm joined today by Phil Thompson. Hi there, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be back in the groove. Indeed. Uh, this is our second week back, and we are working our way. Here we are in episode 16. We're working through three lexical sets that are kind of... Uh, conjoined at the hip, if you will. <laughs> and so we're trying to find a way to separate them so that we can understand them clearly, talk about the sounds that go into them, and, uh, uh, you know, shine our little uh, flashlight on on the important parts that actors and voice coaches need to know about them. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things that we've set for a goal for ourselves for this year is to be a little bit... Uh, quicker, shorten our episodes <laughs> down a bit more so that we're not going on quite as long. But uh, we just want to review quickly our, our normal pattern or what we do this uh, in this show. Usually we flip back and forth each week, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant. And this week we're actually breaking our pattern. We're Instead of doing a consonant this week, we will continue with a vowel. Next week we will also continue with a vowel. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then... Uh, uh, three weeks from now, we will go back to consonants. Yeah. So uh, we are ch- shaking it up a little bit, <laughs> rebels that we are. Um, so we're we're uh, finding a way to to talk about lexical sets, and I just want to do a quick review. Right. A lexical set is a group of words that share the same vowel sound uh, within a certain dialect, accent, regional form of of English, um, and. Uh, that, that's pretty much all you need to know. So yeah. um, sometimes we might have a word where I say potato and you say potato. Of course, <laughs> nobody says potato. That's a joke. Um, but uh, um, th- that uh, different r- regional accents will pronounce it differently. And so sometimes that's just because the accent uh, chooses a different vowel to be targeted onto that group of words. But other times it's because... Uh, the group of words can be split into different groups. And that's kind of what we're looking at today, isn't yeah. it, Phil? That we're taking what f- might be, for me, one big mass of words and splitting it into two groups. I just wanted to say that when I introduce the idea of lexical sets to my students, this is probably the first place where they have that little what you're talking about, Willis, moment. Because... For my students here in California, they don't make a distinction between the words that should be in trap and the words that should be in bath. Even as I'm pronouncing it now, I'm saying trap and bath rather than trap and bath. Whereas for an RP speaker or for any speaker who makes that distinction, it's very evident that there are two different word categories. Right. And the thing about this this grouping that we're looking at is this sort of middle group, um, it tends to swing from one merger to another merger. And Mm -hmm. very rarely does this middle group sit on its own. It likes to be, you know, it likes to hook up with a, you know, it needs to always have a girlfriend. It can never, rarely likes to be single and alone. 
And to be clear, that middle group that we're talking about is the bath group, yes? Right, that right. What I think of as one big category, the word, we'll take the words trap and bath because they exist in these categories. I would never say trap, uh, but I never. know that some people say bath, even though I've taken that word into my category, trap and bath are the same. The other yes. end of this spectrum is palm, which we'll save that for the third episode. But you're right that for some people, palm and bath are exactly the same, and trap is separate. So right. that alternation happens with the words in the bath set between the trap realization and the palm realization. Mm-hmm. So... F- uh really for a, an actor who comes from either of these backgrounds, that they group bath with trap, as you and I do, or they group it with palm, bath, they need to learn how to split that group off, yeah. tear it off, if you will, from that merger, so that when they encounter an accent where it goes to the other side, they know which words are which. And as we described last time, the historical development of this split had to do with the lengthening of the vowels in what used to be a single category of trap and bath. Uh, Some of those words had fricatives or other sounds after the vowel that tended to make the vowel longer. And in that process of lengthening, a further development happened. So the lengthened bath changed its quality. And so the word bat and the word bath changed slightly because of the phonetic context. And if you think about it that way, it might be possible to at least get a a beginning notion of which words would be pulled over into the bath category. Right. Now, uh, so we're we're talking about... uh, the sound ah and ah, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and where they, they fit. It really, um, regardless of your accent, there's sort of a, a forward bright sound and a back darker sound. Yeah, if the words in the, in the Bath category didn't exist at all, we'd still have in both RP and General American, trap and spa would still be different. Father and matter would have a different vowel sound. Yes. Uh, Yes, gather and father are a great contrast pair. Yes, and so gather is always in trap. It's pronounced ah or some version of ah in all of these accents. Rather goes back and forth, and father is always in the palm set. Right. Uh, Which, by the way, I have to say interrupts the previously stated theory, it it speaks against it because they all have the same consonant context. They all have a the sound afterwards. So mm-hmm. it we can get pretty close with thinking about what consonants are around it, but we won't have a final answer. Uh, in that case, we have to look in a dictionary, I'm afraid. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think we just need to encourage people to... Love thy dictionary. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, very helpful. Um, So what should we do now, Phil? How how are we going to to talk about this split of bath and uh, trap? 
well, at least for you and I, how, how do we split them apart? How do we recognize them? I think that if, if we start with the assumption that our listeners don't have this split, uh, they're the people at least who, who need to know. If you already have the split, you know how to distinguish them. It's an innate thing. So right. J.C. Wells, uh, who laid out these lexical sets in the first place, in his book, Accents of English, uh, separates these categories, uh, and he, he lists the words that belong to this category. And I, I thought it might be useful to, to read for you uh, some of these that are in the Bath category. Uh, mm. The first list that I'm going to read off are the words that are they're in most most speakers who have Bath as a separate category will make these sounds as ah. Uh, there's a certain group of, for example, of Scottish speakers who don't do that, and there is a category uh, that is even more stably ah, but the first category he lists are sort of the sweet spot, the center of this category, which you have a pretty good bet for speakers of this accent will be ah. Uh, and I think you'll notice some similarities. Staff, giraffe, those are unvoiced fricatives afterwards, path, laugh, and of course, bath, which is the name of the set. Same thing, unvoiced fricative afterwards. Brass, class, glass, grass, and pass. Those are uh, unvoiced fricatives. Uh, they're also double S's in spelling, uh, which mm. is an indication of a, of a different etymological and linguistic history. Uh, and we don't have many words that are single S afterwards. Uh, these are not all monosyllables. Giraffe isn't, for example. The next one, uh, the next row is raft, craft, graft, daft, shaft, aft, haft, and draft. The same phonetic context afterwards. Next is clasp, grasp, rasp, gasp. Next is blast, cast, fast, mast, aghast, last, past, Contrast or contrast. That, I have a question about that one. Vast and avast. Uh, all of those are consonant clusters with an unvoiced fricative. Mm. Uh, next is similar. Ask, bask, mask, flask, cask, task. So they have final plosives, but final plosives after uh, a preceding unvoiced fricative. Uh, same is true with after, rafter, and Shaftesbury, uh, which is similar to raft, craft, graft. Uh, master, plaster, disaster, caster, C-A-S-T-O-R. Pastor, mm. that's P-A-S-T-O-R. Nasty and disastrous. Next line, basket, casket, rascal, fasten, raspberry, it's interesting, raspberry, uh, because of the phonetic context, the P in raspberry has become voiced as well. But it fits the same unvoiced fricative followed by an right. unvoiced plosive, uh, ghastly castle. And then the last category is similar to staff and giraffe, and that's 
laugh, laughter, and draft, uh, I believe, and I don't actually have the research on this, that those words uh, actually didn't start as a, but started as right. a. Uh, right, so, sort of the lach. Yeah, in Shakespeare, uh, puck rhymes cough and laugh. Uh, and that, to me, indicates at least there was a different pronunciation. So this one snuck into the category a different direction, and that may be true of some others as well. Mm. So that's, uh, I think, a category that at least you can apply a rule to. You can say, right, if it's followed by an unvoiced fricative or an unvoiced fricative followed by an unvoiced plosive, you've got a pretty good bet that it's... A pretty good bet, yes. That's the challenge, though, isn't it, that there are some exceptions? Well, I, I always say to my students, if you don't know and you can't get to a dictionary, er or er, on the side of a. So if you don't know whether it's right. grasp or grasp. It, Better to say grasp? I think it is, because some of these are variable. Uh, if we're dealing with an American audience, they won't be quite as aware of this. Whereas right. if you say... Uh, I'm trying to think of a word that's always... If you say trop instead of trap, then you're in deep, right. deep doo-doo. Deep, deep doo-doo, <laughs> yes. Very deep. But it's an easy mistake that people make who are unfamiliar with the what, what fits into the bath set or the trap set. So uh, that's part of the reason why you and I get hired on a regular basis. Exactly. Is to make sure that people don't put the wrong sound on the wrong set. Quite so. Yes. So that's sort of what uh, John Wells has called Group A, what we've done just now. Yes, the pretty darn that, stable group. Yes. The next group seems to involve a nasal consonant yes. after the vowel, right? Yes. Uh, they're almost all N's, uh, and there's a, a couple of examples, examples <laughs> with M's, uh, but other than that, they're all with an N followed by another consonant sound. Yes. Is that the general rule? They're all, uh, they're not all voiceless consonants, but they're all stops, right? N, well, there's NS, yeah, right? Yeah. N S, right? So we get dance and advance, chance, france, lance, glance, enhance, etc. Uh, but uh, after that, they all have a stop element to them. Uh, Chancel. I guess that's another one. Yeah, More S sound. I, I, I think that the nasal is the thing that stands out in this group. And yes. it's interesting, this group is also separate from the other one in that there are some accents in which these don't, they aren't realized as ah. Uh. So, for example, in, in a mm. lot of Australian accents, you'll get dance, advance, chance. So somebody might say, uh, let's dance down the path. Right. Uh, there's a chance we might advance, or there's a chance we might see a giraffe. And that, because I'm less familiar with that accent, I find that tremendously confusing. And if yes. I were coaching an Australian play, I would have this list in front of me to make sure that we got them all right, because you can't, I yes. can't rely on my intuitions, uh, mm. because they'll, intuitions are... Uh, unconscious assimilated knowledge of lexical set categories. And if I don't have that knowledge and I can't access it automatically, I'll, I'll make a misstep. 
Right. Okay. Uh, so, uh, uh, just sort of to, to quickly whiz through this group. Mm-hmm. So we have things like dance, and I won't do more than one example from each Great. group, shall we? Yes, please. Dance, and then grant, uh, chantry, so that's more aunt sounds, branch, so followed with a ch sound, demand, commando, example, and chancel. So really N or M uh, followed by a, 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 another consonant of some kind mm-hmm. in that syllable. The, the third category, category C under J.C. Wells uh, in, in his book, is the category of, of Bath words that are stubborn, I guess you could say, that even in a Scottish accent where you might say dance and laughter, you'll, you'll say calf. So he laughed at the calf. Again, I don't have a baseline intuition about that, and I'm likely to fake it. Uh, mm-hmm. And there, there's variation even within accents where we can make these uh, statements. We can say that group C in a Scottish accent will be realized as ah. Speakers vary. But these tend to be, they tend to actually follow some similar patterns. That is to say, uh, the the a-sounding question or the a-sounding question is followed by an unvoiced fricative, uh, and it may be followed by an unvoiced fricative, followed by another plosive. Uh, we have we have some that are foreign words. Those tend to fall into this mm-hmm. category. And the T-R-A-N-S form of many, many words... Um, right. Transform. Trans words, right. Uh, in fact, though, I have to say that uh, I think I've misspoken because uh, I think I'm wrong about that. I think that this is actually the category of free variation. Mm. So uh, in your minds, dear listeners, rewind and ignore. I was, <laughs> I, I think I was mapping some other thing onto this because these are ones that... Certainly with foreign words, there's a, a lot of variation. Are you going to pronounce it more like the foreign speaker or more like uh, a RP English speaker? And I actually was able to speak to a, a native RP speaker this summer about this list. And she basically said, all bets are off. That even mm. herself, in her own speech, will pronounce the same word a different way, just depending I think historically these words were a little bit more stable that if we went back to the 1920s, um, things like chaff and graf might might have been more stable than they are today. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other thing to remember is that um, the, the adjective forms of a lot of these tricky ones um, do not take it. So we say telegraph, but telegraphic. Yes. Um, uh, you know, how do we predict that it's plastic and not plastic? Uh, it seems to fit our 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 pattern, but it it's plastic. That's just what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and and getting people to recognize that can't is ah, whereas can is 
is trap, right? So uh, cannot but can't. Gosh, who made that up? Yes, and it's a good, you know, we can look for rules, but it's a good reminder to us that uh, language is not made from rules. Language is just what happens in practice. It's also nice to know that you could have uh, a, a good excuse for doing it wrong, I suppose, that if there's, if there's free variation uh, and you can get away with saying stance rather than stance, nobody's ear is going to really perk up and realize you've done it wrong. I, I, actually, I'm going to speak against that for a moment. Uh, I, I, it's good to have an argument with, your, with yourself every once in a while. <laughs> uh, two things. One, I think you're right that if you were doing a more antique version of RP, it would be probably a wise idea to treat them all as ah uh, and to save, your, save this category shifting over to a for a more contemporary sound. Uh, yes, I think that in more contemporary RP, there's a lot more variability, and some of these uh, give you a real sort of mm, whiff of, of old-fashionedness, yeah. and that finding a way to um, choose where you're going to use that ah sound is, uh, I think, an important marker of, oh, that... that that's a contemporary speaker or, or not. I have a, a piece of advice, too, for people who are trying to figure out the landscape here. There's a strategy that many, many, many actors employ, which I want to suggest is a bad idea, and that is to split the difference, to say, mm. I don't know whether it's dance or dance, and so I'm going to say dance somewhere in between. And that's That'll get you a certain ways. But then if you start to do that with things that are in the trap category and you start saying trap and man, then you're really out of the accent. You've really left the field. So yes. hire one of us or look in a dictionary. And, and it's all yes. knowable. It is finally knowable. And, and that's a good point to to bring up. What am I look What am I looking for in a dictionary? In a dictionary, I, I'm I've got a word. If I'm looking for a trap word, it'll have the pronunciation in the British version and the American version will be the same mm. with an a ah symbol. With a bath word, they will typically be different. And you're talking about a the British one will typically a modern, up to date well, pronouncing dictionary. A modern, up-to-date pronouncing dictionary or the online version of the OED. Um, as someone who's connected with a university, we have online access to the OED through our library. I, I hope you have that too, Phil. I, we didn't, um, but I was told we were going to get it, and I haven't checked. Ah, well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Martha would be happy with it. Um, uh, the uh, But, uh, yes, the IPA does use to some degree, the IPA and things like trap and bath are very easy to recognize because they don't match. I'll make an, a plug while we're on the subject that there's, there's a fun little website called How'd You Say? H-O-W-J-S-A-Y. Mm. I don't recall the guy's name, but he's basically recorded pronunciations and he's an RP speaker. Whether he's canonical is up for debate. You know, he might say graph and alas, uh, and there might be other RP speakers who say graph and alas. 
we, we can't go there for final authority, but if you need to find out on the quick what an RP speaker is saying, there's one. He's online. Yes, yes. And, you know, there are many ways of tracking down a, a real live RP speaker, and things like Skype allow you mm -hmm. to actually connect with people and get their the audio from them fairly quickly. Um, yeah, so... I think there's one last thing that I want to deal with in this uh, trap-bath distinction before we wrap this episode up, up and move on, and that is the ask list. Mm. So... What is that? Well, <laughs> uh, it is essentially an attempt to do this kind of exhaustive list. And uh, it was included in Edith Skinner's Speak with Distinction. I think it's pretty clear that, it, uh, that somebody sat down with the Daniel Jones Pronouncing Dictionary and went through all the possibilities and, and spent hours and hours and hours taking all of those sounds and writing them down which ones fall into that category. Now, unfortunately, with category C, where there's variation, uh, we might end up with a, uh, something that doesn't quite belong in that list. But as, as a list of potential Bath words, it works pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Edith Skinner system, the, uh, what's being asked for is to use that Intermediate A, ah, uh, as the realization of bath. So we would say trap right. and bath rather than trap and bath. And I, th I find this fascinating, the way this distinction came into elocution and into speech training, because th there isn't really much evidence that American speakers made this distinction independently of elocutionists, mm. uh, that essentially there were speakers who used a more open ah sound, and uh, there, there may have been some areas in New England where there was a distinction being made between these two categories. But essentially it was uh, promulgated. That sounds nastier than it really is. It was advocated for by many speech teachers, many speech teacher, teachers before Edith Skinner showed up. And I was looking in this uh, mispronunciation book that I mentioned earlier, or maybe in the previous episode, uh, and I thought I would read you this uh, entry under ask. It says, ask, not ask, nor ask. This word is typical of a large class containing a sound intermediate between a and a, which until recent years has been scarcely recognized. Then there's a quote from Webster. The intermediate or transition sound here employed is useful as being a compromise between ah, as in art, which by many is considered affected in this class of words, and the ah in am, which is disagreeably flat to those whose ears are trained to the fuller sound. It is indicated in the chief dictionaries of English and is used by many cultivated speakers. So I guess what I'm saying is that it was borrowed out of English, out of RP, and by elocutionists and dictionary writers sort of laid on top of American speech as, as a, a goal. Uh, I certainly don't make this distinction, uh, and I don't think a lot of people really make it as native American English speakers. 
but it's taught very much in, in speech programs. And I would say, I think you'd agree with me here, that part of the reason that it's taught is to prepare people for the existence of a split between the two categories. So that when yes. you get around to RP, you can say, voila, it's the same split. Yes. And it, it does teach one the sort of heavy lifting of learning a, a new sound, this ah sound, which could be very helpful in other accents down the road. Yeah. So uh, in, in one way, sort of, uh, you're learning about lexical sets, and in another way, you're learning a new uh, vowel, a new uh, articulatory shape, new vowel quality. And uh, so both of those goals are, are very admirable in and of themselves as sort of just an exercise. Um, uh, I think in Canada, perhaps there is uh, more of an affinity towards this ah uh, sound, um, particularly sort of uh, Anglophilic uh, Vancouver people are more likely to have uh, a sort of bath subset. They probably don't have all of the words, but uh, things like can't are often pronounced with a, a more open sound, historically. And, and we could say that in Boston so, as well, people might say rather, rather than rather. Right. Uh, just yep. to go back to the, the question of uh, the uses of teaching people ask and the ask list, the, mm -hmm. the sure. difficulty that I see there is that we're conflating the two tasks rather than, I just said tasks, mm -hmm. you can tell mm -hmm. I'm in this, uh, <laughs> that, we're, that, that I would say that we don't need to give people where it exists in American speech if it doesn't exist in American speech. So I don't, to teach the right. ah sound, I can teach that physically. I can refer to languages and accents that use it. I don't necessarily need to say it is always associated with these words because I think that that's a right. little bit of a historical fiction. I think that it's not a tremendously prevalent well, sound. I, I, I agree with you in terms of uh, actual real people using it, but it is certainly a part of theatrical yes. tradition, and it's certainly a part of our our point of view on that sort of pompous, old-fashioned, schoolmarm kind of speech. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, the... <laughs> A lot of actors are called upon to play actorly types, um, the sort of Fraser Crane kind of roles. And, uh, the, you know, that kind of historical reference accent, it gets used more than I would have imagined yeah, it would. Yeah, and I, I, I think that that's yeah. part of the echo chamber of speech teaching. Uh, and really what I'm saying by... And, and the small families of uh, residential uh, theater companies, regional theater companies, yeah. where... Things are passed down from old-timers to younger but people. But I, I have to say that in a Shakespeare festival, I don't want to hear people saying ask unless they're particularly archaic and pompous and old-fashioned. Uh, hmm. it, it, it doesn't strike me as the... It doesn't seem to me to fit the landscape of American speech very accurately. And maybe I'm reacting against other people's advocacy, uh, but I think we can do without it. Uh, I don't think, however, we can do without the category, which is why this episode is what it is, uh, that we want to really learn about the distinction between lexical sets. The realization of those lexical sets is a matter for further interest and discussion. Sure. 
So uh, in our, our next episode, we're going to talk about further subsplits of, of trap. We're going to talk about Bath and its relationship to mm-hmm. Palm. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about a few other odds and ends. But this seems like a good place for us to stop Absolutely. this episode. And uh, next week, we'll be back with more glossonomia, talking about more of these sounds. Uh, but in the meantime, I want to remind you that you can always reach out to us by email. Um, you know, it's, it's handy these days. People can record audio and send us audio via email. So if you have a voice recorder, you can shoot us a, an email with your voice comments or just text comments uh, to glossonomia at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd be happy to hear what you have to say and to answer any questions you might have. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll see you next week, or hear, you'll hear us next week <laughs> on Glossonomia. Bye, Phil. Thank you, Eric. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.